In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. Well, we are really about to dive into something today, Amy. Um, And in fact, I like kind of came up with this week's opening question surprisingly quickly. Um, I'm like genuinely afraid. (laughs) Based on this movie, like it it could go so many different ways and I'm scared. Yeah, that's fair. Um, But I feel like we've talked a lot about like some of the stuff that I think could be your question. So maybe it'll be something different. Well, I, I do aim for different um, each yeah. time. So the question today is, do you think that buying a robot companion <laughs> is indicative of a deep and dark loneliness and inability to interact with humanity? Or do you think it's like, you know... um it should have no real connect, like it shouldn't have any relationship to whether or not you're also good with interacting with other human beings. Um, that is a good question. I did sort of feel like you're going to go somewhere like that, but it, hmm. yeah, I think it, I think it's indicative of a problem, <laughs> but I, but at the same time, I understand it. Does that make sense? Like you understand I the under- problem that you feel it indicates. <laughs> No, I understand why people would do it. <laughs> okay. Because I understand it in the sense that, like, okay, you can, like, design almost the perfect compatible person for yourself. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it is definitely borderline, like, making a, a servant for yourself because that's, like, also seems to be part of it. Indeed. But, um, you can create this perfect companion that, like, you know, says and does all the things you want. You can program them a certain way, I imagine, if my understanding is correct. So, like, I understand, like, maybe that impulse or desire. Mm-hmm. But but the problem that it indicates is, like, yes, just a pure ineptitude of dealing with an actual other person. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and, you know, combining personalities that and you know it just means we like gave up on relationships is sort of what it feels like you know yeah yeah that was all too hard there was too much of this communication bullcrap we all went to therapy that's too hard Um, yeah so now let's do this thing where we just like create the perfect fake thing do you know what I mean yes I do I mean I similarly or like I guess the inspiration for this question was because I was like, have I ever seen it depicted in any 
science fiction property at all that when someone has a constructed companion, and I don't even just mean like a romantic, like a sex bot, although that's a yeah. version of that, but like yeah. just and any that's borderline what was going on in this movie. Oh, I think it was more than borderline. Um, okay, okay. Because when we start talking about the quote unquote conversations these two individuals have with each other, it is yeah. horrendous. Um, There's some in the like robot picking store or whatever it is sometimes <laughs> there's like there are some conversations that I was like I am uncomfortable with you sir right yeah now. <laughs> yeah so like I think in general what I what I mean to say is like I have not seen a depiction of a person who has come like a an organic person who has like some sort of friendship or romantic relationship with a constructed person. Mm -hmm. I have never seen it depicted that that person is like normal. And, and that like, that 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 the relationship, that the organic person is normal, that like, that their relationship with a constructed person is in no way like limiting their ability to have relationships with other organic people. Like, you know, um, it always, toxicity. go on. Oh, I was just say there's a toxicity there. Like, I mean, because it, because either sometimes it's depicted in all different types of ways, like whether this person was constructed for them, whether they constructed it for themselves. Right. So there's always like this weird, like they're my companion, but also like my baby. Right. Right. <laughs> and also like a part of me because I've like put parts of myself into whatever. So it's like a weird codependence. It is its own toxic relationship that I feel like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I just, I, and I it's guess. It's not good. And, I mean, and as well, like, what seems to exacerbate this is that there's very much the depiction that the organic person who has this relationship with the constructed person is a loner on their own. It, like, so it's not like, oh, I'm this like super well-adjusted person with like lots of friends and whatever. I just also have this person who's a friend and that's yeah. fine. It's like never that. Um, yeah. Kind of the only thing that maybe seems like a more kind of like constructed people and organic people are on par with each other. Probably the only thing that really sort of gets that is like data on next generation and because because the people he he have relationships with people not romantic ones not i mean there are a couple episodes about him attempting to do that but the whole point is is that the people that he interacts with have no connection to his construction and and only a little bit to do with his programming like he can program himself and so like They kind of accept his autonomy as a sentient yeah. life form in a way that yeah. pretty much everything else that we've seen doesn't really do. Um, and yeah. so, and this movie in particular really makes me be like, what is this guy's damage? Like, it's, <laughs> there's, I mean, we'll talk about it, but like, literally, this movie didn't have to happen. Like the entire the entire movie 
didn't have to happen. Like the inciting incident that causes right. the rest of the movie to happen. Oh, happen. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was real stupid. Um, correct. I couldn't believe it was happening. I know. Anyway. I know. Well, anyway, hello, everyone. Welcome to See You Next Week in Space. I'm Sarah Walsh, and I'm here with my sister and co-host, Amy Walsh. And I'm sorry, like, I didn't really mean for the opening gambit to be, like, kind of dark-seeming or, like, a weird kind of foray into the incel community. Um, <laughs> but I just... But let me be clear. Everything that I said, I would still kind of want a robot person for myself. <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't, like... Not for a romantic partner, but, like... Just to hang out with and, like, watch movies or something? I don't know. I guess it's kind of creepy, too. <laughs> I guess maybe I'd be creeped. I guess I'd probably be creeped out. Because alone, just so imagine, like, imagine this, if you will. Like, I... But could you turn them off? Is there, like, an off button? Well, like, that's that's one of the other things is, like, what if they had an off button and you knew where it was and you just were like, I'm sick of you right now. Click, like... Yeah, I kind of love that. Like, that's definitely not, like a healthy no like, autonomous relationship but like yeah no or just imagine like just imagine it's like okay I'm going to bed and good night whoever and then they just like sit on a couch and wait until you wake up eight hours later oh, no, that's creepy too no that's definitely creepy yeah no I don't think I no. I take I do take it back I think I would be creeped out overall to have like a person sized. I barely situation. want to have another person sharing my living space who is alive. Like, yeah. let alone this other thing where I'm like, oh, I guess I'm like your boss and your mom and like whatever, all in one. Like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I take it back. I guess I take it back. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's a bit of a puzzler, but nonetheless, Amy, why don't you tell everyone what we're talking about today? Yeah, well, we're talking about a movie called Cherry 2000, and it's from 1987, mm-hmm. and it is bizarre. <laughs> yeah, so this is a weird one, and I only became aware of it because for a while it was free on Amazon, and Amazon kept being like, you want to watch this? And I was like, Mm, I don't know. Amazon, fuck off. <laughs> and now uh, you waited till it was not free. <laughs> well, I originally, well, so I was like, oh, maybe that's a free one. So, and then it had changed. And I was like, oh, dang it. Like, we missed the window. Um, and I'll, let me tell you also that, like, not that anyone cares, but I thought from the title and from the case, not the case, the cover that you sh- they show on platforms, I thought Cherry 2000 was going to be Melanie Griffith. Yes, I also thought that as well, and I think it would have been a better movie if it were. <laughs> like, I a hundred, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And I like, but she would have had to be in it more than the actual Cherry Two Thousand. Right, to, right. For that to work, um, yes. the whole structure of this movie is, I guess, I would say ponderous, um, a real question mark situation in kind of all the ways, which we will get to, but. Let's just start with the IMDb description, which says, In 2017, a successful businessman travels to the ends of the earth to find that the perfect woman is always under his nose. He hires a sexy renegaded tracker to find an exact duplicate of his android wife. Okay. 
We'll get to it, but I'm going to just be really upfront and say that I didn't understand what a tracker was the entire time. Like, <laughs> I, I I got it, but I also was like, why does that exist? Why do we care? Uh, I don't know that we need to care per se, um, but I think or really... why was what he was doing so bad? I, we'll get to it. We'll get to well, it. Well, it wasn't... Ba- it was just dangerous. You needed, like, a guide, mm. basically. Um, okay. So not much is out there about this movie. This is not a movie that has developed a cult following. Um, This is not a movie that kind of like, I don't know how I would say, like, I think this movie just confuses almost anyone who watches it. Um, Yeah, because here's the thing, like, it's weird and like, I actually, like, in the first 15 minutes, I thought it was going to be a little bit more fun. It gets less fun. It does get less fun. And, like, I just thought it was going to be, like, wacky. And, like, there was lots of crazy lines. And it was, like, super misogynistic and all of that stuff. But, like, it was, like, in a kind of fun 80s way. (laughs) Right. And then it got boring, like you said, I think. Yeah. It got boring. Once they were in the desert, I really was like, blah. I could um, not care less about the desert. <laughs> I think also, like, um, so, okay. So this movie, was, the filming was completed in December of 1985. And this is the first movie I've ever run across for this podcast that is like this. And this maybe also kind of speaks to the the general, like, nobody really wanted this. No one asked for this and no one wanted it. <laughs> And so then there was not much interest in it. But so Mm -hmm. the filming was completed in December of 1985. And the original release date was meant to be the 15th of August, 1986. But Mm -hmm. the movie kept being reshelved by, I think it's Orion Pictures is the one responsible for this. Um, And it kept being reshelved because the marketing department were like, we don't know what to do with this. Like, we how don't weird. know how to pitch this. And I guess what they probably meant is, on the one hand, it's meant to be this kind of like post-apocalyptic sort of um, yeah. North American landscape. Like the whole thing is shot in Nevada, mostly in the desert. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, so is it like a Mad Max movie? Um, and I just was looking, so I wanted to see, so original Mad Max comes out in 1979. Um. Is Mad Max sci-fi considered sci-fi? Yeah. Yeah. It's in the post-apocalyptic style. Okay. Okay. Um, and so in relationship to this movie, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which most people agree is probably the stupidest of them. (laughs) Uh, okay. came out in 1985. So it's kind of like that idea Maybe of like... thinking it was too close to this? No, I just mean like, the, like, I think what it was is like the marketing department is like, okay, is it like Mad Max? Can we market it that way? And it's like, well, Mad yeah. Max is a little bit more dark than this. Um, although this can yeah. get dark. And it's... Yeah. Is it a romantic comedy? Is it like Mannequin? Like, not, not really. really. No. <laughs> um, is, is it a ca- thriller? Also not really. Is it funny? Also not really. Is it <laughs> like, is it an action movie? No, because there's not really enough action in it. Um, so 
ultimate. I will say. Go on. This. <laughs> this was one of those movies that I don't. I know you don't care, but I will say it anyway. It drives me absolutely insane. And there's nothing wrong with my TV. The talking is quiet and all the sounds are yes. loud as hell. Yes. And I hate that. I was noticing I that, that as well. Um, you have to watch this with your like clicker in your hand. So oh you my can. god, I was going up and down, and then all of a sudden I was like, "Oh my god, my ears!" And then I was like, "Oh my god, what are you saying?" I oh, know it's the worst. And like my landlords thing. just came back like last week from having been gone for like a many a month, and so I was like, "Oh shit!" Can they hear all of this stupid <laughs> shit? All this like guns uh, and cars revving. Yeah, I yeah. really that is like a big pet peeve of mine in movies yeah. and whew. So, okay, anyway. So, originally meant to come out in August of 86, it doesn't actually come out until February of 1988. For some reason, though, on IMDb, it's listed as a 1987 release. I'm not sure where that came from. Um, They just didn't know what the heck. And so they send it out. It goes extremely quickly to video um, because I just don't think anybody watched it. Um, (laughs) And then... Uh, when they when the director Steve DeJarnett was asked about like the performance of this movie, his quote is, "No one who's seen it hates it or anything," and I'm like, "That's not that's really brilliant. like a big endorsement of this movie." <laughs> I love that quote. I disagree with it, but I love it. Like, I think that's hilarious. Like, that's like being like. <laughs> what do you have to say about your kids? It's like, well, no one really like hates them or anything. Right. They're like, okay. Um, and I would beg to differ because I'm sure some people hate this movie. I don't know. I would not sure. I'm not sure if I didn't hate it. I don't know if I hated it. I I just don't think think there's enough there. I don't think there's enough there to hate it. There's also not there enough there to like it. Like, yeah. Um, being indifferent to something isn't, like it's that's okay but it's not necessarily positive either (laughs) no no and so this movie I think just really and we'll talk about this I think perhaps the problem here is that it really can't decide what it is what the hell it yeah and it really and one of the ways that it really can't decide is it doesn't seem to know how to use Melanie Griffith at all like Agreed. Because uh, she, of course, is like, when she's on screen, you want to watch her. Uh, when this loved movie. Loved her hair. I'm not going to lie. I loved her liked hair. Liked her hair. She's I, she's was. super lovely. Um, I This part where, and we'll get to it, she's got like a big gun and she's shooting it. I'm like, that looks cool. Do more of that. <laughs> like um, anything. Uh, but they really seemingly don't know how to use her at all in this. Um and I guess that's a good segue to talking about the cast. Um, yeah. Because as well, what I didn't fully appreciate when watching this is that when she filmed this movie, even though it came out, so it, come, it ends up coming out the same year as Working Girl, which oh, is her nice. big break. But it's mm. filmed many years before. And so, you know, I think the, she hadn't like kind of become person that she was gonna become I guess you could say acting wise and so they clearly just didn't really know what to do with her I don't think um so when she's doing this movie or well when it comes out I think she's younger when it's recording but like um or when it's filming but like 
Her character's name is E. Johnson, and she was 30 when the movie came out. Now, I didn't know this about Melanie Griffith, but she is the daughter of Tippi Hedren. I did know that. And, like, because um, I recently, I just watched The Birds last weekend. Right. And so just and... for those of you who don't know, Tippi Hedren is the lead actress in The Birds, the Alfred yes. Hitchcock film. And, and if you've not that, like... seen The Birds, you should. It is great. It is also, like, side note, that movie makes no sense. But whatever. Um, it's great, but it makes no sense. Um the she is and Tippi Hedren is so pretty and cute in that movie um and her and Melanie Griffith and Dakota Johnson are just the cutest little family of yeah they all have a very kind of um I would almost say like they're very beautiful but they're also kind of like delicate looking I would say like there's a china doll sort of look to them um yeah that is is just this side of like if it were even a little bit more something you'd be like are you ill like (laughs) I can see your veins through your skin well they're very (laughs) yeah they're very pale but I mean we're you're one to talk but yes they are they are pale skinned ladies I suppose um Um, now which one would you say for you is the most attractive hmm uh, that's tough. Um, yeah. Let me. I need to look at a picture of Tippy Hedren again. But yeah, but you got to look at one. You got to look like at a young picture. I know, I know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not it's neither here nor there. But like, I actually. So I think that Dakota looks a lot like Tippy, and Melanie yeah. Griffith must maybe take some of her looks a bit more from her father. Um, because both Tippy and Dakota have like a a pointier nose and kind of like a more angular set of features and Melanie Griffith's features are kind of, it's not like she's, yeah, not chubby, just rounded in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, and I think I maybe, hmm, I mean, I think I maybe find Melanie's looks more attractive because she looks more approachable than either Dakota or because of like the that like I'm this kind of yeah yeah serious not serious I don't know I don't quite know how to describe it but I think I maybe respond to Melanie's looks more than the other two that's fair that's so interesting okay what about you I think I would lean towards Dakota Johnson personally I'm not Hmm. sure why because I think I think of Tippi Hedren as very like buttoned up and like with her hair and a thing because she's from the 60s well yeah that's like holding her era against her no I'm not holding it against her I think she's very beautiful but I like you said maybe it is the approachable like factor um that seems very like she's like a little too buttoned up for me (laughs) she's like a little too serious I don't know yeah um and Melanie Griffith is a little too, um, like, vixen-y for, mm-hmm. for my taste. I, mm-hmm. I think that's so. That's why I would go with Dakota Johnson, in case anyone was curious. Yes. Um, so, I like, that was kind of fun. I didn't know that. Um, but yeah. then the rest of Melanie Griffith's life really bummed me out. Um, oh. She, quote-unquote, fell in love with 
her eventual husband and father of Dakota, Don Johnson, when she was 14 and he was 22. Um, what movie was he in? He was in some movie with Tippi Hedren. And I oh. guess Melanie was around and met him and mm. then fell in love with him. And that's creepy. For whatever reason, Tippi Hedren let her move in with him. When um, she was 14? Well, it just said in the bio on IMDb at a tender age, which I'm like, that's under yeah, 18. Like, yeah. Um, and Ooh, awkward. Yeah. And she just, everything about her life, like on paper, reads as the kinds of things that happen to young women when they get sexualized and perhaps start having sex like too young. Um, yeah. So she starts out as a model because, of course, she's beautiful. We've already talked about that. Um, she, her first acting gigs start in the 70s. Um, she's, I think her very first one is 77, so she's, like, 20 years old. But, like, mm-hmm. all of them involve her being very noticeably in the nude and doing, like, graphic yeah. sex scenes um, oh, with, pe- with people who are older than her by um, times significant margins. Um, In these early days, uh, which is to say kind of like the mid to late 70s, she and Don Johnson briefly eloped, but then that kind of fell apart uh, because she, and I I didn't realize this about her, she basically has struggled with addiction her whole life. I didn't know that either. Yeah, so she goes through this downturn in the late 70s, early 80s as a result of his addiction. And so she's one of these people who is, like, kind of in and out of rehab throughout her adult mm-hmm. life. Um, oh, that's sad. Yeah. And so the relationship with Don Johnson falls apart. She goes to rehab. Things start to seem a bit better, presumably with this movie. And then, of course, Working Girl is 1988. So in a sense, so in 88, she is 31, and she's already gone through, like, a marriage, at least one stint in rehab, like, uh, having a acting career that was, like, seemingly taking off and then fell apart, and now she's back. You know, like, yeah. so she's lived a lot of life, I feel, at this point. And I think I also remember that, um, like, I think her relationship with her mom was estranged at various periods mm-hmm. of time. Um... Sometime around when Working Girl is happening, she reconnects with Don Johnson, and that's when they have Dakota. They get married. Um, I think their marriage is quite, um, let's say, melodramatic because she's dealing with addiction again during this period. Um, Mm. Eventually, it sounded like Don Johnson leaves her because of drug things. Mm. Yeah. so that relationship ends. Um, by the mid-90s, she gets married to Antonio Banderas, which I had forgotten about as well. Oh, yeah. That's um, a big one. I mean, I do remember when it happened. It was interesting when I read that. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that being kind of a big deal, like, tabloidy thing. Um, yeah, totally. And she has a daughter with him as well named Stella. Uh, so if we haven't hmm. seen Stella acting yet, we may see her soon. Um, and that, that relationship ended, um, like I want to say in about 2014, 2015, they were married for about 20 years, I think. 
Um, mm-hmm. She has done a turn as Roxy Hart in a Broadway version of Chicago, and I bet she would have been pretty good at that. Um, I didn't know she was a singer, but okay. But a lot well, I guess she normally also. wasn't. This was like in the early 2000s. And she did that, I and mean, she a got. Lot of people have been in that show. <laughs> yeah, and she, I guess, she got pretty good reviews, and it kind of gave her a new mm. lease on life for a little while. But like, basically, her life has been characterized by having like these little kind of pockets of success, only to have them fall apart when she inherently, like, when she kind of falls into addiction again. That's um, really sad. You forgot to mention she was in Now and Then, but... I didn't you. totally forget that. I just didn't <laughs> mention it. Um, so anyway, that I was like a little bit bummed out to see that. And I guess yeah. in, in a broader sense, like, she's obviously good at acting. Like, and to see her in this movie, she's so cute. She's so fun. She has like... It's like, oh, if only, I mean, I don't think it would have helped the addiction thing, but yeah. it like it's like, oh, I wish somebody could have like used her a bit better, like to give her more of a meaningful because her credits are not. I was like, oh, she's Melanie Griffith, she's got all this stuff, and then the credits, I were like, this isn't very good. Like, yeah, um, I feel like she probably could have been better. I feel like she probably was someone like you said, like, was used for her looks, and they were like, oh, good, we'll put her in a sex scene, this and that. But if she was ever, like, actually, like, coached to do, like, she didn't do much, like, serious stuff or, like, as far as I remember, um, you know, it's too bad because maybe she could have been better. Yeah, and, like, I guess... Or had some better roles. Yeah, and I guess probably, you know, what's what sometimes can happen is, like, I think probably Dakota is having the career that both Tippy and Melanie would have liked to have had, you know, yeah. like, um, not just because I don't think Dakota is necessarily a better actor than either one of them, but like times have changed so much that there's like so many more opportunities just, to yeah, do absolutely. interesting stuff as a woman. And actor. speaking of autonomy, like, <laughs> right. Women have more autonomy right. than like, you know, so she's able to make those choices. Right. In a different way. Right. Um, so then we have the character Sam Treadwell, who's played by a 35-year-old David Andrews, um, who I definitely recognized. Um, but then, yeah, but then when I, like, looked at his credits, I was like, I guess probably it's just because he's been in, like, a million different TV shows over the course oh. of his acting career. Because... Um, his first credit is in 1982, and then he has just really steady work all the way through to now, um, with a, with TV probably being the main place that he's making his scene. Um, although, and then this is also kind of interesting, he actually started out, he like went to law school and then like passed the California bar and I guess practiced law for a little while. And then he was like, I want to really? be an actor. And then he did this movie? <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting choice, my friend. Well, I mean, if you're just starting out, and he would have been because his first credit was... I'm not was... judging. I'm not judging, but I'm, I guess I'm judging a little bit just because this movie is like... And not that it's his choice. He didn't write it, but like it's a little wackadoo. Yeah, well... For someone who is a lawyer. <laughs> right. Well, this seems to be his first leading role. 
from what okay. I deduced from okay. IMDb. But he has also appeared in Nightmare on Elm Street, the original Nightmare on Elm oh, Street. That's cool. And he, I guess he had a small role in Fight Club. So, like, he's been around. He's been in some stuff. Um, and when I looked at his picture on IMDb, which is a more current one, I was like, yeah, I feel I think I've seen him more recently and stuff than from this era of time. Okay. Um, then, of course, we have the titular Cherry 2000, uh, played by a 22-year-old Pamela Gidley, um, who, much like Melanie Griffith, started out acting. Um, her first credit is in 1986, and this movie is her fourth credit. Um, I couldn't really find much more out about her. I didn't recognize any of the other stuff she was in. Um, and her last credit is in 2014. So I think it's probably fair to say that she no longer is doing acting. Um, then we have Six Fingered Jake. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, played by a 69 year old Ben Johnson. Um, he has a pretty great like backstory. Uh, he is from Oklahoma originally and started out as a ranch hand and rodeo man. Um, mm -hmm. And then one of his jobs was to bring horses to Hollywood. So like city slicker style. What? Oh, <laughs> whoa. Like actually like a cattle drive of horses. Well, I don't think, but probably not. Probably it was like horses in those horse trailer okay. things but that's not and, city slickers they were on the range i know i i like to imagine <laughs> it more mean. like city slicker <laughs> yeah 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 but I'm so like, he brings these horses he's to hollywood like curly. he's like the he's the cowboy he's curly he's like yeah on the range like just let's go to hollywood <laughs> just younger though than curly yeah yeah um so he comes to hollywood to do these horses and i guess maybe his job was also to do a bit of wrangling of them in the context mm. of these various movie things and in the hmm. and then he kind of sticks around, decides he likes the vibe there, <laughs> and, and they're like, "You want to be in the want to be in these movies, <laughs> right?" Well, and that's the thing—he gets into acting and specifically in westerns. So his oh for God, and this funny. is also in the loosey goosey days of Hollywood, where it was <laughs> kind of like we need someone to like jump through a doorway. Is anyone in this room right now able to do that? Like. I'm Can so pissed. I'm so <laughs> mad that I wasn't born earlier that I could just like go to Hollywood and be like, um, hey, do you like need anybody else for this movie? Like, I'll, and they were like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, and also this is like studio system time where literally like every day at every studio in Los Angeles, some young woman would go in and be like, hello. I'm an attractive young woman and I'm interested in acting. And they'd be like, well, that's great. We'll do a test, like screening of you. Like we'll do some tests and see how you do. And then if we think you're pretty enough, you can get a contract with us and then we'll just see what happens. <laughs> I'm telling you, I am mad. I wasn't born earlier. Um, I mean, I'm kind of fine with it, uh, but... So his first credit is in 1939 in a movie called The Fighting Gringo. Um, Whoa. But you'll be happy to know that apparently in that movie he played a Mexican. Um, oh, no. Yeah, he, as far as I can tell, he is not Mexican, um, nor does he have any Mexican heritage, but I, he does appear to be 
half indigenous. So presumably at that time, I was like, yeah, I guess you look sort of ethnic, so you can be Mexican. You're like something weird, so let's put you here. That is crazy. Wow, interesting. So his early career is just like lots and lots of Westerns. Um, And then later on, he gets into some more horror properties, like he's in the town that dreaded sundown. Um, He's in Terror Train, which I think is one of the Jamie Lee Curtis ones. Um, so he's doing some of that, like, that's the kind of stuff he's doing in the eighties when he's also doing this movie. Um, and then he keeps getting credits and doing work right up until his death in 1996. Um, like he dies in 96 and his last credit is in 96. So he is just, um, a super working actor right up till the end. Um, and then the final person that we need to know about for this story such as it is is a character called lester played by a 41 year old tim thomerson another guy that i felt sure i had seen his face before but then when i looked at his credits nothing really jumped out at me but much like Mm -hmm. david andrews this guy has just been in a lot of stuff so Mm, it's you know i probably saw his face somewhere but i can't like really Place exactly where um he started out as a stand-up comic which I thought was interesting because there were a couple lines that he said that I was like that's funny (laughs) (laughs) and there was so little in this movie that really stood out in any way at all that I was like okay and then when I saw he was a comic I was like oh maybe that's why he was able to like make these lines that seemingly mean nothing be kind of entertaining (laughs) um So he starts, uh, his first credit is in 1975, and then pretty much from that time to now, um, he's gotten steady work. Again, mostly in TV. Within that, quite a lot of science fiction stuff. Um, He's in something called Sasquatch Mountain, which could be fun. I don't know. Um, That does sound fun. (laughs) And things seemed to kind of slow down for him in 2013, but there's some new stuff coming out with him in it, oh, like now. So maybe he took a little break and is coming back. Um, back in action. Yeah, and these are all the people that we need to know to fully appreciate mm. Cherry 2000. Yikes. Okay. So. Let's get into it. Yeah. Um. Now, I normally like pause on the credits just to say something, but this in this movie the credits are actually kind of like part of the story, I guess. Um, yeah, they're like part of the opening. Yeah, they're like the cold the open, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, because we get at first I thought what we were gonna get was like a longer credit sequence, kind of like a James Bond thing, because we mm-hmm. start with that like woman's silhouette in front of like some red background. And I was like, oh, okay, so we're doing, and, like, I want to say there was, like, some jazzy sax or something. Like, so I was like, oh, okay, we're going to get, like, the James Bond-style credit sequence, and then we'll get into the movie. But that isn't what happens. Um, In fact, what it is is, like, the story has already begun. We cut between Cherry getting ready at home for Sam's return. Sam's driving home. Uh... Presumably from the office, I guess. Um, In a weird-ass car. 
Yeah, the cars in this movie are strange. Um, and so then we kind of, the, the end of the credits is Sam coming home uh, to Cherry, giving her flowers. And it's this very kind of like domestic situation. Um, and it kind of feels strange from the start. Uh, yes. And I guess I don't, the thing I don't understand about this scene is like, I can't tell if from a viewer perspective, like, are we supposed to know she's an android immediately immediately or is this like meant to or is this a reveal like i really couldn't no. work that out yeah i couldn't tell either i felt like i just from like i i didn't look up what the movie was about but i thought that it was like an aliens or not an alien an android situation or robot situation whatever you want to call it and she seemed too perfect to be real <laughs> right and and then when she didn't eat or drink anything, I was like, okay, definitely. Right, yeah, because, like, he gives, he gives her flowers, and then she's like, I've made your favorite dinner, which, for an adult man, apparently is a burger and fries, um, which felt... But he also doesn't eat. He like, barely the, eats. Like, he, God, eating stuff in movies drives me insane. I know. Because they never fucking eat it. I know. Well, because then on my handwritten notes, I write weird convo and then she takes away his food before he finishes like he doesn't um, even eat one single bite i think he, he has one bite of the hamburger and like one fry and that's not that's ridiculous and um, he like pours some wine but then doesn't really i think he drinks one sip of that and, and he pours her a glass and she can't drink anything. I mean, it's just a pretty weird. All of And it. the conversation is really, from the start, the conversation is extremely odd because she's like, guess what I learned today? And he's like, okay, great. And then she says, what do you like? And then she lists like various things. Like, what do these different things have in common? And he's like, what? And she's like, they were all made by American inventors. And he has, like, no response to that whatsoever. And so then she, and that's when she takes his food away. And so I was like, oh, is this trying to tell us that Cherry's kind of, like, emotional range is quite complex? Maybe she's getting irritated that she's made this meal for him and she just told him this story from her day and he has no reaction. So she, like, takes his food away on purpose. You know what I mean? Like, you're done now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, is that what I'm seeing? But then when she, like, goes into the kitchen to start cleaning up from this dinner, Sam comes up behind her and they start immediately making out. Um, this part. So I was like, okay, so I guess she isn't mad at him. And is this... And so then I'm like, so are these his quote-unquote, normal interactions with her. She says, like, 15 words, he doesn't respond, and then it's time to have sex. I mean, I guess that's why you have a robot instead of a real person. I guess. But, like, so, do you want to describe what then transpires, like, while they're making just, out? 
Okay, well, I have questions and simultaneously, like, whatever. But she has put this, like, she said she was making him a dessert or something. I Did thought she, say she said that? something about okay. dessert. I thought right. she said something about dessert. But then, like, this weird contraption, like, bubble thing turns into, like, it's bubbling up real bubbles. So I'm not sure if it's supposed to be, like, this, like, a dishwasher working. Yeah, maybe that's like, what it's sure. supposed to be is some kind of a dishwasher machine. Anyway, it's, like, bubbling over, and they are, like, writhing around on the floor making out just for adult people in an, their own home is unacceptable, in my opinion. But whatever. So they, they're they rolling around on the floor. This soap is continuing to overflow, 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 like, all over the floor. They're, like, they're like aggressively making out and it's in like, the soap. It's like not just soap. Hair. It's water. It's water. It's inches yeah, of water underneath it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like keeps like it's a problem. It's like something where you wouldn't continue going. You would be like, oh, this is like going to flood our house. Right. And also on top of it, they're rolling around in it. And I was thinking the whole time I was like, she's a robot. No, like this is she's OK to get wet like this. Like and maybe some are. Maybe that is a thing. I don't know the the workings, but um, they're rolling around in this. She's got just like soap and Water right, because she's and on the bottom, on. so her she is fully soaked, like just idiotic. And so all of a sudden, she like short circuits and goes like, <laughs> makes a noise, and her neck snaps, and she's like, quote unquote, dead or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and the look and on, I was like, yeah, stupid idiot. I know, and the look on Sam's face is like horror and shock, and I'm like, what? Like, yeah. surely if you own this item. Which is true. Like, yeah. you own this item. You own this robot. So, you would know, like, what that you, would be... It can't take on water. Right. Like, if I, if I threw my phone into the toilet <laughs> and then, and, like, swashed it around in there and then, like, picked it out and, was, and it was, br- like, broken or dead, and I, then I was like, what? Like, that's what it is. Like, it's so weird. Yeah. So... So this is why you say that the whole movie doesn't need to exist, right? Correct. This entire, this whole part, because like this didn't need to happen. That was just dumb, and then the whole rest of the movie wouldn't have needed to happen. Right. But nonetheless, this is what happened. It happened. <laughs> so the next scene is we are at the mechanics, and we learn that Cherry has had a quote total internal meltdown. And cannot Yikes. be fixed. And unfortunately for Sam, this particular model of robot is no longer being made. Um, because, and buckle up for this, folks, it's the year 2017. And I don't know when these cherries were being made, but they're not being made anymore. Okay. So... What this tells me <laughs> is this. First of all, I did have to rewind. When he said 2017, I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> <laughs> you mean so you didn't have a, your me, own, like, robot butler five years ago? <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm missing out. But, like, also, it's, like, guys. <laughs> guys, people who are making uh, sci-fi movies, to make it, 30 years in the future, 30, which I know is a long time, but it's not that long in like this span of right. the world. Um, and to make it so different 
from the world it is today. It's just like, why do you do it? In 1987, you really thought 30 years in advance we would have full-on, like, robot companions and live in these, like, weird dystopian worlds, whatever. But also that means if she's called Cherry 2000, I mean, people really, I guess, in the 80s and 90s thought 2000 was going to be this year where, like, it just everything exploded the into year like 2000 like <laughs> so we're supposed to believe that this cherry 2000 was like maybe made in the year 2000 well yeah because i mean i don't know that it necessarily means she was made in the year 2000 but the way people talk about how this model used to be made does mm-hmm. make it seem like it's old like from a while and like, so we've ago. had this for a while so we've had not only do we have this crazy ass technology 30 years in the future, but we've had it for a while in that right. timeline. <laughs> and I so I was I was thinking about this, which maybe means I've got like a brain problem that I'm thinking about Cherry 2000 in my off time. Um, <laughs> but I think that based on the post-apocalyptic nature, the development of these androids and kind of other things that we'll probably talk about as we go. I think, even though they don't say this, I think that what we're looking at is an alternate version of, like, based on an alternate history, where, like, if we knew more about this... Yeah, just, like... like, Ah, okay, like a parallel type of... Yeah, like, if we knew more about this world, maybe it would be like, oh, there was a World War III, and it was in 1961, Mm -hmm. you know, like, that sort of thing. Like... Okay. That's that's the only way this can make sense to me. Like... Yeah. Because you're right. In our timeline, this does not work. So... um. Yeah, I think that that's that's the only way I can like kind of be like, oh, this is how this happened. Because like, yeah, in the context of if this were happening in our timeline and this movie's coming out in 1987 and I'm sitting in a movie theater watching this in 1987, I'm like, okay, so in the next 30 years, not only are we going to develop Android technology to such a degree that it's like going to be able to do all this, um, we're also going to have some sort of major like crumbling of our society (laughs) like a major one and a new thing is going to arise on top of it almost immediately like that to me seems very strange um yeah that's jarring so yeah i think we have to assume that this is happening in an alternate universe or like yeah i like that better that helps me so the mechanic is like, I'm sorry, man, um, can't fix this one. Would you like any new models? And Sam is like, no, no, no. Um, so then we go to this massive building that turns out to be a recycling center of the future. Um, and Sam apparently has some kind of job where he's working in that, but it doesn't really matter what his job is because we never go back here again. Um, yeah. The main thing that this scene is important for is that his friends at work are like, so sorry about your robot wife. You got to get back out there. We're going to the glue glue club tonight. You got to come with us. And he's like, I don't know. And they're like, come on, man. Like, when was the last? 
oh, sorry. I Are there women in this world? <laughs> yes. Well, that's the whole thing. So, so his friends are like, you got to meet real women. Real being mm. organic women. Um, I, there's, I don't think this is entirely true, but I also wonder if perhaps what we're meant to understand about the world we're looking at is that there was this time when these robot women were being made. We never see a robot man, by the way. That never yeah. seems to be something that exists. But so I think that there's this window of time, probably around the year 2000 in this alternative timeline, where these robot women are being made, but then they stop being made because of the post-apocalyptic thing. And so then, mm -hmm. like, the friends of Sam, I think they even think he's weird because no one else in this world is having sex with these robots. Like, only he's doing it. Are they it. not? Because well, there's some... I thought there was one guy who was, like... Yeah, actually, like... when he get when we get to the hotel, there's a brief implication that people are still doing this. Okay. But okay. his friends are more like, that was kind of, like, wasted effort. Or that's... The tone I got was, like, You've been sitting around with this robot wife and you should be out with like real women or something. It was like I mean I mean that's not wrong necessarily, but yeah. So hmm. then he just he's like, "Okay, I'll go to the club with you." And this club Is that the club where I'm picturing all the men who are like I feel there's one guy who said something really gross and I can't remember what it was, but basically like <laughs> Something as, like, I can't remember, but I was like, uh, yuck. I don't like well, you. So this is a club that, you know, does kind of all the things we expect in a sci-fi movie depiction of a club. It's, like, very aggressive music. Um, <laughs> lots of, like, pink neon dance floor. Um... Mm. Lots of edgy haircuts and outfits of varying persuasions. Mm -hmm. And then, like, the... How would I say? Like, then you kind of, as you kind of close up in on people, you realize that, like, hardly anyone is really dancing. In fact, what's happening is there are these, like, couples who are standing together and, again, like, just because we're, like, super hetero, I guess, in this timeline. It's always <laughs> men and women. Like, one man, one woman. And they're, like, there are these, like, view screens set up throughout the dance floor and along the bar. And you see these couples, like, coming up to them and looking at something together. And then you hear, like, clips of their conversations and they all sound a bit strange. And you're like, what is happening? And then... We see Sam interacting with some woman, and then we get to see what's on this view screen, and she says, here, look at this. And now, I didn't really see this clearly, but, like, the, the what she's showing him is video of her having sex with Sting. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. With Sting? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I didn't remember that. <laughs> that would have so been... later on, the term is And revealed. that's her demo reel, you think? Yeah. So that's what, that later on, I think Six Finger Jake uses the term demo reel. 
so that's a so what we see in this club is that by we, the time we hit 2017 flirting is literally like two people walk up to this view screen put in their demo reels to show how good at sex they are and then they then they decide whether or not they're gonna have sex with each other yikes and in this case so she shows sam this you know clip of i guess maybe 30 seconds of her having sex with sting and he's like that's very impressive and she's like okay well like (laughs) show me yours and he's like i don't have one and i and i think she even says i don't have a card or my cards expired or whatever and she's pissed like she in a way that I guess I'm trying to think what the in our world like what the equivalent would be and I'm not sure that there is one but I guess it's like (laughs) it's hard to draw comparison yeah I guess it is a bit like when a woman really flirts hard with a man and he just really rebuffs her and then she's like you're just a dickhead anyway like I guess that's kind of (laughs) the equivalent to what has happened here um okay Meanwhile, one of his friends from the office has had a certain amount of success because I guess what we're supposed to understand from this scene is that the progression is you see somebody who you like, you chat with them a little bit, you show each other your demo reels, and then if you decide that you will in fact have sex with this person, then you need to get a lawyer to come and speak with you both. Um, and apparently these lawyers just hang out in the club precisely for this reason. Um, and I was, and can you imagine, can you imagine if this was the the hoops people had to jump through to like take people home from a club? People would be like, fuck that. I don't know. I think we can never underestimate what people will be willing to do in order to have sex. Like. I guess, but but if but if they've known another way where it's quote unquote easier, they're not sure. going to want to do the harder way. I don't think. Probably not. It's just, I mean, it's just funny to think about it being this technical. Right. Well, and I mean, I suppose you could say, in the context of twenty twenty two, that like this does presage the kind of things that now are like these murky details of like consent and whatever it's like we are making this very clear what yeah this is a business decision (laughs) yeah like what both of us are willing to do and not willing to do and it's going to be like written down and it's going to be signed and then like Mm. when when it doesn't happen or when something goes wrong we will have this to show like what went wrong Mm. that's a Um, good point maybe on second thought maybe i do like this (laughs) but In this case, so then there's this lawyer talking to these two people. And the lawyer, I immediately was like, I know who that is. It's Lawrence Fishburne. Was he in this? Yes, he's this lawyer in this club. I did not remember this part for some reason. Yeah, and so I even wrote down some of the stuff he says. So this is like, I guess we're catching up on this brokering of deals a bit toward the end. Because then... Lawrence Fishburne says, okay, so this is a standard one-night arrangement. It includes dinner, full penetration, an optional brunch the next day. And um, at that point, both of them 
are like, okay, I guess that's fine. And then the, I forget if it's uh, Lawrence Fishburne or the friend, uh, but there's something that's brought up called the oral clause. And oh, yikes. based on that, the woman then balks and walks away from the deal. And it's like, no, no go. Um, and so that, so apparently, but so anyway, I think what this whole scene is meant to show is that like, cause then we come back to Sam's house and Sam is alone and he's in bed with the defective slash dead cherry lying next to him. And mm-hmm. he's listening to her voice on this like chip device from the night before I guess or whenever she died um Mm -hmm. and so I think what all of this in combination is supposed to show us is that like with human women there's no quote-unquote romance anymore it's all very transactional and he doesn't like that and perhaps that's why he's withdrawn from organic women in the first place Mm-hmm. And and he's somehow still like carrying a torch for this woman who is dead, effectively. Um, mm-hmm. I also thought it was really intriguing because as he's listening to her voice, he has a flashback of the opening of the movie, and we're only thirteen minutes into the movie, and I'm like, <laughs> we're already having a flashback. And he's like, if he's flashing back to them having sex in the bubbles, yes. Yes. Oh, my God. So I was like, this is a weird choice. And then there are no other flashbacks. So I'm like, what's happening? Like, how is this story It's like, telling? we know she died that way. You don't need to tell us that again. It we just watched it. It happened five minutes ago. Like, <laughs> I don't, I didn't forget. Um, yeah. So then, again, Like, I it mean, would make more sense if that flashback was, like, maybe a moment between them we didn't see. Right, like if right, where we like have a better like understanding. Establish, like, some other... Right. Yeah. Right. Like, this shows us the depth of their relationship. Yeah. Like, like, I would imagine he's, like, so he's listening to her voice, and then I would be like, so then the flashback should maybe be the day that he gets her or something. Yeah. You know? Something. But what Easy. actually happens is that then we have a very jarring cut back to the mechanic who's like, hey, man, um, I found that there's, like, a cherry model in zone seven, which is this like unlike lawful zone or like post-apocalyptic zone in the desert. And he's also found a tracker who can, who can go collect the robot. Um, and so Sam's like, okay, great. So he gets in his car and he drives, um, basically to the edge of civilization, which is where this tracker lives. Um, And do you want to say where she lives, what town she lives in? Um, Yeah, I'm just going to preface it with saying this movie was written by 12-year-old boys. So (laughs) (laughs) the town that she lives in is called Glory Hole. Correct. And Glory Hole is five miles away from another thing. Like, we see this on signs as he's driving. So Glory mm-hmm. Hole is five miles away from where it says the rule of law ends. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty wild spot. 
Um, when Sam gets to Glory Hole, he's been directed to look for a tracker. <laughs> I know. Um, a tracker named E. Johnson. And so he walks into the office or whatever that has that sign over it. And E mm -hmm. attacks him. Um, and then when he explains why he's there, she's like, oh, okay. Um, I'm the tracker you're looking for. And pretty much immediately. And so I assume this is because she's a woman. He's like, you can't do the job I need. So of course I'm going to leave. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's always a thing. It's like you're expecting this big old dude and it's like a little lady and you're like, well, you're absolutely useless to the world unless I can have sex with you, so right. goodbye. Right, and I guess but because... But I do have a question. Yeah. Not about her being a woman, but like, I don't understand the the whole, I said this before, but now that we're like in it, I do not understand why this movie happened <laughs> like I, I don't get why he can't just find this other cherry 2000 like why he can't go why that's illegal or what like I just don't get well it. I don't a tracker is what is I what is a tra what does that mean so okay this is my my interpretation of what that job okay. is or like what it means Part one of the answer is oh <laughs> that clearly some kind of massive disaster has happened such that most human beings in this world are living in these like urban centers that have some kind of rule of law that maybe the rule of law is so intense that's why everyone's doing contracts about their one night stands. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason... Those spaces, like, resources are scarce because there's, like, that whole, that recycling center is very weird. And it oh, suggests yeah. that, like, that? yeah, it suggests that resources might be kind of scarce. Okay. Even if, you, though, even well, it did though. it seem like it, actually. Yeah, even you though you're about, living. Like, what? Oh, I was just saying, like, if you think about, like, the rest of the movie as we see it, like, it does seem like they're leaving, like garbage can type of lives. Yeah. You know? And so even in civilization, getting certain items has become hard in 2017. Yeah. And so I think that these robot ladies are one of these items that kind of no longer exists in that geographic space anymore. Okay. Perhaps because the materials necessary to make them, it's, like, too many and too much. And, like, those okay. materials are better used in something else, right? Something more practical. Yeah. So there's that part. So on top of that, out in these, like, former places of human civilization, there might be new resources that haven't been used. But to get to them is very difficult. Yeah. And that's why you need a tracker because trackers n either are already familiar with like these like stockpiles of items. Okay. Or okay. they they're familiar with the terrain and they can help you find one. Okay. But the actual job of a tracker like the or the title of a tracker is 
like frowned upon or at le- or just in like these like no law zones they don't like them like well because yeah that comes from later on when they run afoul of this gang um Mm -hmm. the gang leader doesn't he says repeatedly i don't like trackers yeah in my territory and i think probably that's because he has probably some sort of a smuggling business where, like, he could, because the whole thing is, like, he controls Zone 7. So, like, his perception is anything that's in Zone 7 is mine. And so, mm-hmm. if I'm going to, like, be making money off the resources that are here and, like, selling them to the people back in the cities, no one can take that from me. And trackers, I guess trackers might, in that sense, be a bit like poachers. Okay, okay, got it. Right. And probably the other thing is, is that because like trackers whole job is to figure out where these caches of supplies are. And Uh I don't I don't think it seems like Lester doesn't really know where these things are. Because later on in the movie, when he's trying to find out from Sam what he's doing in the desert, it's like, oh, he doesn't know where this robot graveyard is, but he knows where it is. Right. So hmm. so that's okay. I think the dynamic here. Okay. Um all right, weird but okay. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, back to the sexism. Sam sees <laughs> sees E, sees this like petite pretty woman with like such red hair. Oh my god. Oh my god. And like I liked the color of the hair, but like why was the haircut so bad? here's the thing about the hair and the it was haircut. like a bowl cut that like got blown so it was like poofy yeah but like sometimes it looked good to me and other times it looked weird um and uh, sometimes it looked uh, i like and sometimes the color was like that looked super strange on her and other times i was like that looks great i couldn't and think, also I couldn't how do you how do you have a dye job like that at the edge of civilization? Well, that's a great question because let me tell you, everybody, red is hard to keep up. <laughs> and especially that type of red that's that, like, kind of yeah. almost magenta, very obviously oh, it, wh- not a human hair color color. Oh, yeah. And it, it fades like you immediately. Believe. Yeah. Yeah. It, you, you look weird fast. Like, I mean, that's not true, but like, it looks pale pink pretty fast yeah like it it fades out fast yeah um so she had a great colorist (laughs) she did you know the the glory hole colorist really was very good (laughs) i mean Um, you gotta be you work in a place called glory hole i mean right so so she like he says i've gotta leave you can't do the job she, like, lassos him and drags him back, and then he reveals what the job is. But I'm like, I thought she already knew what the job was because the mechanic said he had found a tracker who knew where a Cherry 2000 was. So, right, like, anyway, he's like... Riddle me this. I, I mean, maybe that's for our benefit. There's a lot of reminding us what this, the plot is in this movie. <laughs> and it still didn't work for me. I still was like, what is happening? Like, even... 
So even though they did that, he tells her that he wants this Cherry Two Thousand from Zone Seven. Um, mm-hmm. she says that she's willing to take the job. Uh, but that he needs to come along with her. There's also this, like, totally unnecessary thing where they're talking about the job, and she, like, goes out of the room to, like, change. And he sees her mm-hmm. in shadow, like, her body in shadow. Um, it was written by 12-year-old boys. Well, and especially <laughs> what was quite nuts about it was, like, I've seen people in shadows before. You can see her nipples in shadow form and i was like i don't i have never seen such a silhouette that i can make out a person's nipples on their body well, you're not looking you're not looking hard enough i guess i guess not um but anyway he's like no 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 that's not the deal i send you to get the thing and you bring it back i'm not going so then he ultimately refuses to hire her for this job. So then he's in Glory Hole and needs a new tracker because he still wants to find this robot. So he goes into the bar and I guess for whatever reason, I don't know how he knows this, but he's like, I'm looking for six-fingered Jake. Um, I guess maybe... Does she tell him that? No, I it, I guess the thing is, is maybe Six-Fingered Jake has a, like, storied reputation that has made it all the way back to the cities or something. Um, okay. Because he's then... He's from Anaheim, right? Like, yes. they keep acting like that's so crazy. Yeah. So everyone in this bar, when he says the phrase Six-Fingered Jake, um, or no, I guess when he just even walks in, everyone stares at him. And then this other tracker who calls himself Stacy um, says, I'm sorry to say that Six-Fingered Jake is dead. Um, what job did you want him to do? Um, and then Sam is like, um, I'm looking for a Cherry 2000. Um, and I think he shows them her picture. Um <laughs> And he mm-hmm. says that he's willing to pay quite a lot of money for this service. So then Stacy's like, come here, come here. Let me whisper something to you. And he's like, oh, actually, Six Finger Jake is alive. And I know where he is. I'll take you to him. And Sam, being the doofus that he is, he's like, okay. Um, <laughs> and then we follow the... So Stacy also has this weird henchmen with him uh in the bar and then outside of the bar and as soon as they're kind of out of like viewing of anybody stacy and mm-hmm. his henchmen attack sam to try and rob him not only of the money that he's brought for this job but also because he's revealed that he i guess he says he has cherry's chip and they're like okay. We want that because I guess the whole thing is, is like probably every tracker knows where the robot graveyard is. And by mm-hmm. the way, I'm using the phrase robot graveyard because that's what the movie calls it. <laughs> um, so I think like every tracker knows where the robot graveyard is, but the real value comes in the chips. Because without the mm. chips, it seems like the robots don't even walk or like move do around anything. or yeah, do anything. Yeah. So the chip is way more valuable than 
the chassis. That's what they also call these yeah. robots is like the chassis. Hmm. Um, somehow though, and I don't even remember how, Sam gets away from these two and runs all the way back to E's house and he, he's like, okay, okay, you've convinced me, you can have the job. And she's like, yeah, of course I have the job. I've been getting <laughs> ready this whole time while you've been a dipshit. Um... And so then she's, like, getting her special car ready to go, which I want to say is, like, a Mustang, I think. It's a red Mustang. But it's been, like, turbocharged, like, literally. Like, mm -hmm. it zooms off at a rate that is, like, shocking. Um, <laughs> and then as she's driving, Sam's like, how come you don't have the lights on? And she's like... Oh, I drive mostly by feel. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yikes. <laughs> drive by feel. And that's where And that's where I say, "Hi, um, could you pull over please? I'm getting the fuck out of here." Yeah. So then they have to but part of the reason they're driving so fast and without lights is because there are these like I don't know how I'd even describe them, but like People really on the edge, like literally and figuratively on the edge of humanity who've made a barricade between where like the rule of law exists and what's zone seven. And they've made this barricade. And I guess normally what they hope to do is like as people try and pass through the barricade, probably they're going to rob them or something. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why E has this like super fast super amazing car is to like bang through the barricade and not um have to deal with these people tune in next week as we discuss whether they did actually bash through those barricades and see the weird people that live out in the desert and we'll discuss whether this whole entire movie even had to happen see you next week in space Ooh. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.